Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the Rise Station podcast. I'm your host, Pranella Harris, licensed mental health therapist. If life has recently beaten you up and you're feeling stressed and defeated, this is the podcast for you. You know, sometimes negative things just start to pile up in our lives for whatever reason. That is when I want you to tune into the Rise Station for your weekly dose of inspiration. If you are looking for practical tips on how to manage stress, relationships, and to develop a winning mindset, I want to invite you to join our Rise Tribe. A new episode of our podcast is released every Monday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I know you're probably thinking, wow, that's really early, but we want you to start your day off on the right track with encouragement and inspiration. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My special guest is attorney Tony Moore. And I just want to give you a little bit about Tony Moore. I absolutely love her, love her energy, love her story. And if I ever had one, she would be my girl crush. I mean, she is such an amazing person. Uh, The things that she is doing to inspire is amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about my special guest and we'll get to meet her together. All right. So Tony Moore is a business lawyer and intellectual property strategist who has been in practice for more than 22 years. Through the Moore legal firm, Tony helps startup business owners and CEOs who are obsessed with building wealth through entrepreneurship legally, of course. In addition to running the Moore legal firm, Tony sponsors the Legally Sheep Boutique and Bootcamp. Tony is also a visionary of the legal box. Tony is also an author, speaker, coach to an amazing group of women who are committed to turn their brilliance into millions. Tony's most recent book is entitled Up Level Your Life, The Unapologetic, A Guide to Manifesting Success. I've been enjoying this book and it goes through Tony's journey and how she went from trials to triumph from the projects to the penthouse. It's filled with lots of information on how you can create the life that you want despite hardships and setbacks. Be sure to pick up a copy of Tony's Up Level Your Life. Information on how you can connect and how you can follow Tony will be included in this episode's show notes. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to share how you guys can be in the running for a free copy of her book. I have two copies to give away, and I'll talk to you about what you can do to be in the running for that. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce my guest, Tony. Welcome. Hello. 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 Thank you for having me. Uh, This is so good with your beautiful hair and your big smile and all that you do. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. I think a lot of people are going to be inspired after they hear what you have to share with them today. So before we get started, is there anything that you would like to share about yourself? Um, One of the things that someone had mentioned, and I have to look into it, was 
that one of the things is that I'm a dreamer, right? But I'm one of those dreamers who is not like, oh, I dreamt it and it's gone. No, I'm a dreamer and it's almost like prophetic for me. So I'm like, if I see it, I feel as though I have to see it. I got to live it. I got to touch it. I got to breathe it. So even with the trials and the tribulations, to me, that's just like, you know, I have boys, they're gamers. You know, I even thought about creating a game. So it's just like, this is the stuff that we got to go through that most people don't know to go through or we're looking for a rescuer. But when I realized the rescuer ain't coming, I realized Daddy Warbucks was just an Annie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I had to figure out a way to just be the dream, be who I always dreamt of being. So we'll just call it a a bold and amazing woman who had to slay everything in my life, you know, like giants throughout my life. So um, hopefully this is be a good chat. Hopefully someone who is listening, who is waiting for that rescuer, they'll be like, darn. Like I, I remember when I first started talking, you know, sharing my story, this one woman came up to me and she's like, if you went through that, I really don't have an excuse. You know, mm. so we'll definitely have a chat. I can't Absolutely. Wait. Yes. So you said at me a lot is there. And I just, you know, you, you talk a lot in your book uh, and you and I have talked uh, on other occasions about just knowing that there was more for you. Like, but if you had to pinpoint in your early life, like when was the first time you you just realized that hey you know what what's going on I'm just I'm just meant and created to do something like how do you know that how does that knowing come about It was the knowing of the knowing for me I was blessed to have two moms you know um in the book I talk about mama but I also allude to the fact that there was another woman in my life who pretty much was kind of like the Walona for me, you know, where she pretty much had gone through a lot. And she still was like, very unapologetic about what she was doing. You know, she did a lot of stuff, but she got known for being a seamstress, you know. So me, even in life, and my mom actually was, she was a factory worker, but she was sewing as well into the factories left and went wherever then our whole life became hellish but I had the parallel of both moms because my mom was a teenage mom who really didn't want to be tried you know stuck with girls her kids and my godmom was my babysitter because she was still a younger teenager so all my life I have both of these women so it's almost like rich dad poor dad I had bossed up mom and broken down mom and just something inside of my life didn't want to be the broken down mom Mm -hmm. okay wow all right so let's get into um one of the first things I was curious about is what impact do you want to leave on this world before your time is up One of my things, because I started to look at myself, when you get almost 50, you look back over your life and you start being like, is this it? And I don't really feel like it's enough, you know, just to be able to up level from, you know, from poverty to penthouse status, to be able to command a boardroom and have a conversation and write books and stuff. For me, I realized that I really want to be um, the walking epistle, uh, an example, and then uh, the proof, you know, an exhibit per se, that when life 
shows up or the lies or people show up and tell people who came from a traumatic background from kind of like poor, impoverished with big dreams. When they tell us that our dreams are going to die or we're not enough, I want to be that person to be like, if, if she could do it, you know, mm-hmm. when life shows up, I'm a lawyer and I was a litigator recovering, um, you know, but somebody needs the exhibit that shows that if I believed, if I give myself a chance, if I get a chance to just be like, I want to be the exhibit that shows that, guess what? There is another option that -hmm. you're not stuck in that beginning story. You're not stuck in the trauma story. You're not stuck in a woe is me story. You're not stuck in I need a rescue or salvation or savior story. I need someone to see me as, but she did it. Like, I didn't really have too many trailblazers outside of Harriet Tubman and all the people who are big time and, you know, and you hear their story, but there are people like, well, what if nobody is as bad as me? And I used to cry about my story because I didn't really have a dad. I didn't really have a mom who really appreciated my, my, my shine per se. You know, I really didn't have like a confidant mentor to, but like, here's some, here, Tony, here's 50,000, here's $10,000 for you to start your dream business. A lot of the stuff that I had to do was like literally like success from scratch, almost like the little engine that dared, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to be that person. That's why the stories became like a syllabus of success, like step by step with regards to the beliefs, to to all of the steps, even the crying and the tears and the woe is me, because eventually you got to look at yourself. I think almost uh, every other chapter has something to do with a self-assessment, you know, and when you don't have a Jimmy Cricket on your shoulder, when you don't have a fairy godmom, or like me at one point was looking for a daddy Warbucks, then I want to be the example that if you ain't got nobody, and I and I intentionally got really gritty with that, but if there's nobody in your corner, I want you to be amazed at what you can do for yourself when you get the mindset to succeed. Wow, that's yummy. And, you know, I I think that is what uh, draws me to you because you are so inspiring and your confidence and that confidence only comes when you have uh, looked trials and tribulations in the face and said, I'm going to succeed no matter what. For our listeners who don't know, what is it that you do? Um, Tell us about some new projects that you're working on. Tell us about the success that you are experiencing right now that you have experienced. So for me, when I look back, everything that I do, it's really about liberating women to be the women of their dreams. And for me, I always have an entanglement with money because we didn't have any, we have more month than money. So I'm in always thinking, how do I empower women to be financially liberated, to have that financial independence so that even when it's at the end, when her ladder is greater, that she can leave a a richer legacy as opposed to a legacy of liability. So I started out wanting to be in estate planning. Well, I wanted to to help people first. And I started out and I wanted to be in estate planning, but I was working with a, a lot of different people. And when you don't have a mentor, you just, whatever job shows up. So my first job was hideous, but um, it was insurance defense. And, I, I'm, and I'm a dreamer who's an empath, right? Mm-hmm. So someone had asked me to work on something 
And that's how I got a chance to get into estate planning. And then, but I was like, oh, I felt like Goldilocks, like this ain't it. So because most of my people, because I'm an African-American woman who came from the scrits, you know, Mm -hmm. when the projects in trauma, abuse, uh, foster care and things of that nature. And I just thought that once we hit a certain age or we was able to cross the street, that life would get better. But I noticed that we elevated our poverty. So for me, at this age of my life, I'm always telling the story of the trauma so people can see me in the trauma, themselves in my trauma, but hopefully to be inspired to see themselves in the triumph. And then I'm a business lawyer because I didn't want, I'm as bossy as I am. I did not want to be the one relegated to just help 80 year olds to try to avoid uh, Medicaid, which is illegal. But I was just like, hold up, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you think that you're just coming to estate planning and just giving me your shoopy do bankrupt estate planning because, you, you know, this David Box of the world told you about the latte life because nobody really told you that you have to have a financial plan in place and that a business is an asset and a copyright is an asset and a trademark is an asset. So I that's how my bossiness showed up because I already tried all this stuff. You know, like, you know, you know, Renella, you were like, Tony, you do a lot. And I'm like, no, I was just going through my success journey and trying to figure out what was the formula for success to help not just me, but my mom, my sisters make over our lives from broke to, to, to bankable, you know? So I just needed to know how to do it. So when people said, go to school, I went to school, get good grades. I went, I got good grades. You know what I mean? Get a job. I got several of them. Climb the corporate ladder. Did that too. Oh, you need a business. Well, nobody told me to start uh, as a side hustle. So I left my good, good job and went to nothing. Then I heard about this thing called estate planning and financial planning. And I was hooked. You know, but then I got into um, financial security and taxes and stuff like that, you know, but really at the end, at the core of in my heart, you know, being a business lawyer who does trademarking, I'm like, because my people are creative and we're leaving assets on the table so someone else can scoop up. But for me, I'm like, if there is such thing as a power to attain wealth even if you're broke with no daddy, no mama, or maybe just like hope and air and, you know, and hope and dreams and air and grace and whatever, what formula can we have? And what I'm realizing is that most people will only sell you what they know and they don't give you the full scope of what we need. That's why I call my sister girls future millionaires, but it didn't connect with my people because they was like, I'm not that. But at the end, if you don't want to hustle forever, you at least need $500,000 to a million dollars in some retirement plan that you can eat off of. But that's too much because we wasn't taught to be long view and just more be, uh, what do you call it? Um, we had to, to be like scratching and surviving. And when we're just scratching and surviving, we're just scratching and scraping away at the surface, but we're not getting into the the brilliance of who we are. And we're not being cultivated to be the type of women and and men, of course, but women, my thing, my source, my, my create, my, my strength, my burdens, my survivor message came as a woman who was violated as a child abused as a young person, you know what I mean? Diminished. Even in church, I was diminished. I remember, you know what I mean? But I'm like, even when nobody lets you 
If you truly believe that between your birth date and your death date, you're supposed to do something instrumental to change the trajectory of our collective destiny, then it's no longer about asking for permission. It's just about finding that journey. And for me, money answers all things. For me, we have the power to attain wealth. For me, a lot of our colloquialisms and our spirituality as a black church, because I'm a church girl, back back row seat, honey, praise the Lord. But still, I'm still in the building. Okay. (laughs) I get my credit. Okay. Um, But I'm like, but if we truly lived out the financial promises of God, so that's what really, that's the impetus behind everything. Because when you're thinking, well, if I'm supposed to live a rich life, if I'm supposed to be like Zalofa Hayes' daughters, you know, and reclaiming my beneficiary status, then why am I still being used as a pawn, you know, or shrouded like sheep or just being at the bottom level or even with regards to statistics. That's why I tell people, statistically speaking, most black and brown women, our business, we started, we're like, yeah, I started a business, but we only make statistically on average 20, less than $25,000 a year. How is that a reflective of God's message? How is that? And what I realized is we've been cultivated to replace our parents. So if you like the parents, that is good for you. But if you don't, like I did, and I'm like, I'm not going to be on welfare. So that's where my, my voice, my roar is always about financial empowerment. Because when we get into those situations, we women, we take care of everybody. We don't just think about red bottoms. We think about bottom lines. We don't just think about ourselves. We think about our children, our children's mm-hmm. children. There is a feminine legacy. People talk about the feminine energy. That's great because you got to tap into who you are. But what about our feminine financial legacy? that we're leaving and we're living and we're leading and living and then ultimately leaving, you know? So we can't be the broke chicks. Broke chicks, you can't even be a feminist. You're a broke chick and you got to ask a man for what? An allowance and allow you to be who you need to be to make change possible, to crack and bust open the ceiling. So that's what my heart is. Because my mom, unfortunately, was a pawn of society. We got fed the breadcrumbs. And all she did was just sell our food stamps to her family members. So that's how we had a very awful life. So I'm, as a dreamer, always thinking, but if, how can we stop this? So the next cycle or generation of women don't replace and do what their parents did, but start doing something differently. All you need is a little, little thing different to shift the trajectory. And from an estate planning perspective, that's, that's where the heart comes in. Like if I always did what mama did, I'm going to get what mama had. But mm-hmm. what if I shifted a little differently? And that's where I am. That's, that's where the strength comes in. And, and, and that is amazing because you're absolutely right. That is exactly the status of us African-Americans in the U.S., Um, because we have not uh, had generational wealth passed down to us, nor have we had those opportunities to uh, ascend. It's very difficult to know these things that you're talking about. And and so, you know, you are operating in that gap and using your testimony to uh, create products and courses and educate uh, individuals to to gather that. Uh, so that is excellent. I love what you do. Thanks for taking your testimony and purpose to better our position. So uh, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about your impact 
we talked about what drives you, but let's get a little bit into the darkness that kind of made you who you are today. Because I know life wasn't easy and you talk a lot about your trials and your tribulations. So uh, tell us a little bit about that journey, how you got from darkness to light. How did you rise out of that? Mm -hmm. So as I said, I was a, I'm always a dreamer, you know, I dream testimonies. Okay. Um, So when I first told I was a little girl, because my mom, and I talk about it in up level your life, but my mom, it was a church girl herself. And she was a preacher's daughter, you know, preacher's kid who was a very proud, my grandfather was a very proud military man. And, and my mom was his problem daughter. So I had an older sister and she was shipped off to another state to pretend like my mom was not bad. Then my mom hooked up with her teenage lover and she conceived me. And, you know, um, someone decided that she was not going to ship off another child So my mom found who I call my dad and said, hey, you got me pregnant. And my grandfather was like, you got my daughter pregnant. So a month before I was born, she was a married woman this time. They didn't last long. Um, And my mom was so bad, unfortunately. This is in the 70s, y'all, that my dad um, got custody of us. My mom, knowing the story that I didn't know until I was almost 40, came back and got us, me and my sister. And the roost was that I had a new daddy. So at one point I had a, you know, my first dad didn't last long. My mom snatched us and then had me another father. But me at that time, I was like three or four. And I told someone, an adult, that my mom was pretending like this new man was my dad. But if he called 555-1212, you know, he would come and get me. I didn't know most of the story because trauma hit. Like most people don't like me to talk about domestic violence because my first abuser was my mom. Uh, Some kind of way she shut me up and I did not know who I was because almost two years later when I was in kindergarten, because I'm a November birthday, I was not writing Anderson as my last name. I was writing her new husband's. So between that time, some trauma set in. And between that time, I was afraid of my own shadow. Pretend that time every once in a while, I would, like I say, boss up. Like, this is not enough. It would be kind of like spiritual amnesia. And then I would wake up and, and my, my true self would come in as a fighter and an advocate. Then I would get beat back into silence. So my mom was being abused. And unfortunately, she used a lot of... Um, physical force to keep us quiet um, because he was a drinker and he was very, unfortunately, a horrible person. But the whole time I had a dream. So fairy tales kind of like inspired me to, you know, fairy tales inspired me. Life inspired me. I was always thinking maybe if I could change families. So that's when I first tried to run away. I was between nine and 10, tried to run away. But at nine or 10, you you know, you got to go back to your parents, right? When my mom left her crazy behind husband, before she left him, we would get up in the middle of the night, two o'clock and have to get like pillowcases of clothing. 
whatever we had and we'd have to leave at two o'clock in the morning or go to like different parts of Pennsylvania, York, PA, different parts of the side places um, at one to go to women's shelters. At one point, I lived in a women's shelter for over a year as my mom was hiding from her abusive husband. Um, and my mom was having daughters. So at the end, she ended up with eight daughters. And I was just like something inside of me because God planned and purpose. I'm a God girl. So it's just something inside of me is like, her story is not my story. This is not it. So when she was divvying out food stamps so that we can go to the corner store, I was like, ah, uh-uh, don't want it. You know, I would clean somebody's bathroom. Who wants to clean the bathroom? Nobody. I would clean people's bathrooms, wash their kids or whatever. So I can have some side pocket money um, because I just felt in my spirit, this was not going to be it. Sadly, when I saw the movie Annie, I realized that my fairy godmom couldn't help me. Not like in the fairy tales. I needed a Daddy Warbucks. And then where I come from, Daddy Warbucks is, guess what Daddy Warbucks is? He is a drug dealer. So I was looking for a drug dealer to help me, you know, to help me go far, far away. So Daddy Warbucks, um, my mom saw that I was catching the eye. You know, she didn't know about the three men who did molest me. But unfortunately, I did not know because I, you know, you, you know this, your ego will protect you. So I didn't remember the abuse and trauma as a young child, but I knew not to tell. See, my mom taught me not to tell. So when people were doing what they were doing to me, I had learned at four not to tell. So I had to suffer in silence when I got molested by men. And then my mom, my godmom, actually, who is my fairy godmom, so to speak, she told my mom about this school called Milton Hershey School. And Milton Hershey School was a very good saving grace for me at that particular time. And my mom said yes. She actually had most of us all go to Milton Hershey School, whosoever could. But then she took them all out. And when she came to get me, I refused to leave. You know, I was about, I had just turned 16 years old. And I told them, I'm not going with her. And if I do, I'm going to run away. Because I became a runawayer. And I was a quote unquote, bad person, but I wasn't a bad person. It was something inside of me that was like, I don't want her story, you know? And I was always trying to find an outlet. So she let me stay. She, we brokered a deal. I guess that was my first negotiation at 16. And I was still acting out um, because no one really told me about that. Maybe I needed therapy uh, because I had gone through so much. So if someone ever shut me down, or put me in a corner, I would just start acting out. And I was very good with words. Probably not the best thing when you're 16 years old and you're supposed to abide by other people's rules. But uh, so I got kicked out of two student homes. And then the, uh, I had requested, advocated for myself once again, for Black student home parents, if I could just live with them. And the Black student home parent, you know, she pretty much showed me that I had the boss like believe in myself or get tossed. And so that was when I realized that I had an option. I did not have to go through, what do you call it? Uh, Like the cycles of life. I didn't have to be on autopilot. I didn't have to step in and be who I didn't want to be. So, you know, with the school, they give you um, an opportunity for scholarships. So the teachers were like, Tony, you're straight A student. What are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm going to be a hairdresser and I'm a hookup with a drug dealer. Imagine the white people's faces. Okay. Um, one of them was like, just try out school. 
you know? And I was like, well, my mom's on welfare, you know? No one's talking about college, you know? They're talking about it, but they're not talking about it. But um, so that was enough. Like every time I would hear something that resonated with my soul, I would just follow it, you know? So I heard in one career day, which we didn't have in the hood in Harrisburg, but I heard of this career day and I heard that's how I learned about being a lawyer and an accountant. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be a lawyer and accountant and a doctor. Um, and I laugh, but it's funny. Years later, I am technically a tax attorney, uh, have a Juris doctorate with a tax attorney background. And I do a lot offline. I do a lot of um, reverse engineering of the financial numbers to find financial criminals, right? So, you know, it's kind of weird how you always get what you focus on. So I came from Harrisburg, well, I went to Harrisburg, then I lived in Hershey for three years, and then I came to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is where I really had to boss or get tossed, and I ended up in bad situation. Uh, my trauma got triggered, you know, because being a fostered kid uh, with no background, and then I ended up going to not just any school. I went to University of Pennsylvania where the elite black people um, go to school. And I never knew about private school. I didn't really know anything about labels, you know? Um, so certain people already judged me by what I look like. Um, and then certain people saw, especially men, saw the hunger and the need. And I didn't know that when I became sexually active, that because I was already abused as a child, that a vixen would show up. So I was really bad. I went from straight A's to 1.7. I went to a point in my period when I was dark, dark. You know, I got to the point where I was just gonna fell out because I had gotten so rejected that I felt as though um, I would just fell out, fall out, fell out of school. Cause I was at academic formation, not once, but twice. But I had this dream inside of me about being a lawyer. And it's, just, it's almost like my spirit kept leading me to an opportunity, you know? So that's, and so that's what I was like, the dreams kept leading me like tone. If you just finish out school, then you could be a lawyer and you can help the kids, you know? So they don't have to go through what you went through. So I had gotten raped like three times and I didn't want to tell because I didn't want to be the poor kid going to the rich campus telling on the rich kids, you know? Unfortunately, my childhood also taught me not to advocate for myself, like to tell on the people who did something to me. Um, so I swallowed it and that was like a huge lump in my throat. But I also didn't want to be the poor kid who went from the projects to University of Penn and fell out because I never want the status quo to dictate what's possible. So I lost up. I believed in myself. I owned my power. I studied. I just did what I needed to do. Boom. And I just focused. And I started asking people, how? How is it you at parties? I'm at parties. How are you doing this? They're like, uh, we came to school to get a degree. Why'd you come to school? I was like, yeah, I came to school to get a degree too. So, you know, it's a time and a place for everything and everything and time and a place. But also what I believed helped me was that I, um, I started taking these human sexuality classes which introduced me to psychology. And I learned about Erickson's eight stages of development. And when I realized that I kept being triggered, my trauma kept triggering me back to the impoverished mentality of the little 10 year old girl who got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I said, oh, 
my trauma is triggering me back to that person. So the traumatized girl showed up at University of Penn, but I needed to transform by the renewing of my mind. So I really got into myself. And in that one class, I pretty much studied myself. I objectified myself, you know, that's, I think is this on bet on, bet on yourself in that chapter. Cause that's what I had to do. I realized that no one cultivated me to be the woman of my dreams. But I, if I felt it in my spirit that it was possible, then there was potential. And so I gave myself a chance and that's exactly what I did. And once you create that success, once you go through that process, it's almost like uh, riding a bike. You're never going to forget it. Once you have good sex, you ain't going back to bad sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once you have a pocket full of money and you learn how to make a thousand dollars and turn your brilliance into a $20,000 month, there's no way that you're going to have a $500 month. So once I, cause before everything was autopilot because I was just going through natural but this time it wasn't just natural. I became intentional about not allowing the status quo. You know, the status quo, they go look to your left, look to the right. One of you guys is not going to make it. You know that it's like mm -hmm. one out of three. And I think the mm -hmm. first generation statistics is probably two out of three. They'd be like, whoa, you went to the Ivy League school? There's nobody in your family? I'm like, no, I'm first generation. And that's a rarity. But here's the thing. We all need to see. We need that, you know what I mean? The evidence. So that's why I just became the evidence that it can happen. That is not some BS, something that they're giving you so that they can get your tuition. But when we become the evidence, you know, cause lies of lie, people will shut us down. But when we see the evidence, your brain will never revert back to what used to be. Wow. I mean, it, it, what, you said it's, it's just like, hey, I knew somewhere in me that I needed to do different, but I kept stumbling along the process to get there. And all throughout that stumble, there was trials and tribulations that would have any other person probably had them return back. But you just had that mentality that I cannot return. I have to move forward. And as scary, as hurt, as, as traumatized as I am, there is no going back. I know I read in your, your book, failure is not an option. And I too live by that same mantra. So just being mentally strong to push yourself to be the pioneer because you didn't have a map. You didn't have a roadmap of what success looks like, but then you got a taste of it. And it's like, what? I'm, I now have the formula. I stumbled upon the formula. Now I need to re-engineer this and multiply it. Yes. That's excellent. Excellent. So looking back on everything you've endured, what is the one major lesson that you have learned that you still use today? For me, you know what? My biggest major lesson that I am using more in my close to fifties is that I have to make room for grace. I didn't do it before because I grew up in a Pentecostal church where they went to church seven days a week, honey. And it was Hikamasha and all this other stuff, but they weren't tapping into the power of the Holy Ghost to live their best life outside of Sunday morning glory, you know? So I was like, eh, it's nay when it is nigh. I just took, I 
got rid of it. You know, it, it, you know, I was just like, okay, if it's not going to be, you know, if it's not going to be the Lord, then I'm gonna find me a drug dealer. And then I'm gonna use my brain and then I'm gonna use my wherewithal. And then I'm gonna use my prowess. And then I'm gonna use my strategy. Then, you know, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use. But when I tried to do all of that, eventually it failed. It did. It got to the point where I hated my life and I was like, oh, I got to start over. But when I make room for God's reasoning and I make room for God's assessment and I make room for God's expertise and his creativity, when I make room and I just be like, it's not my will, I'm going to be very intentional about this because you don't go from level to level to glory to glory from boss to you know broken down to boss and boss to bankable by yourself mm-hmm. so if i could have just made room for grace a long time ago and crazy enough i heard that's what oprah did i was like oh, wait, wait, wait tony shawan that's my mm-hmm. middle name if oprah who's not a pentecostal chick is making room for grace why aren't you and when I start making room for grace, that's what changed for me. That is not about me. Now I'd be like, okay, Lord, you know, I'd be like, test me, try me out. I'd be like, okay, Lord, you gave me this dream. Open the door. Okay, Lord, you told me that I got the power and the potential. Then show me. Okay, Lord, oh, you cracked this door wide open. Don't, don't, don't leave me. You said you would never leave me or forsake me. So I start making room for grace by reminding the Lord what he promised me. And then I'd be like, hey, I'm supposed to be the walking epistle. I'm being read. Let me be the outlier of my faith. You know what I mean? So when I started doing that, and one of my, even one of my coaches that triggered me, because before she triggered me, I was like at $3,000 a month, three. And one time I did like 15, 20. But she was like, why aren't you making 20,000? And I was about to make her an excuse. But she was like, oh, well, you supposed to be a faith and a believer and blah, blah, blah. And she didn't, she didn't give me the all that, but she did. And it really triggered something inside of me that I'm like, oh, she about to read me. And I'm giving her the testament that I'm a traumatized woman whose words don't matter and that the, the, the Bible and the things that I believe in is just words on a piece of paper. So now I'm like, no, nah, I'm a walking epistle of this, the goodness, not the badness, but the goodness. So now I'm very intentional. Even when I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be a comma check queen. I want some comma check ties offering. It's so amazing. I'm like, darn, why well, had to learn this at almost 50 Why couldn't I do this in my 20s? You know, because whatever we put into the atmosphere, intentionality, and we appreciate we always get what we focus on. Man, I should have made room for grace a long time ago. So when you say make room for grace, how does that translate practically to someone who may not be so far in their faith journey? Mm -hmm. But how can we explain to someone what, what that looks like? Yes, I love that. Um, make room for grace for me be, is more about beliefs. And if you don't have beliefs, then you have an imagination. And a lot of people are operating in pretense and presuppositions anyway. So when you make room for grace, 
and you're not at the level where you're walking spirituality and just saying, whatever I am, you know, like this is my world. This is my oyster. I have the power to manifest from the words. My words create worlds. My thoughts are things. Then you just have the power of pretending, pretending that you're supposed to be the woman of your dreams, pretending that you're supposed to run a business that is not broke, pretending that you are supposed to be amazing, pretending that you are supposed to have stickers in your passports, pretending that you are, you know, a, a woman or a man who get a chance to be a, don't have to live the way you don't want to live anymore. Pretending that your words matter. Pretending that your desires matter, pretending that your heart lessons and the tugs of your heart matter. Because the more you pretend, it's almost like it, it, it's literally like future pacing yourself. That's the term of art that they use. But if you're not there, then you just start imagining and pretending. The more you pretend, the more you give your empower your beliefs, because that's the reticular activation system inside of you. Your brain does not know. When I learned that my brain didn't know the difference between my thoughts and my reality, I stopped focusing on the trauma. When my brain didn't know that it, it didn't know that some people didn't like me, it just knew what I fed it. I just start focusing on people who was asking me. I stopped casting my pearls among the swine who would just pick it up and throw it off or, or just see what I got and start serving the people where they were based on what I had to offer. So when I made room for grace, by making room for grace, you're just like, you know what? I give myself grace to be right. I give myself grace to be amazing. I give myself grace to make mistakes. I give myself grace by forgiving my wrongdoings. When you make room for grace, the grace that you hope other people would give to you, you first have to give it to yourself you know, and then that, and it's at the basic level. And then as you go from the basic, you master the basic, then you take it to the next. Well, I made room for grace. Even at Penn, I made room for grace for myself to be amazing and to be okay with being troubled and, and to be almost a failure. But I stopped rejecting myself. I said, come on, Tony, be amazing. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to start all over. I'm going to give yourself an opportunity to not be all abused and shackled in your brain. I'm going to give yourself an opportunity to just ask so that you can receive. See, even I have kids and I tell them, you have to stop, you know, ejecting yourself from the equation. You got to put yourself in. So that grace is sufficient to allow you to just walk into what you want. It's one thing to start a business, but when you give yourself the grace to, to try it, just to try it, to see if you like it, give yourself grace to just increase your, your prices. And, you know, like I have this one friend, she's like, why aren't your prices 30,000? I'm not giving myself grace, but I did give myself grace to never offer anything below $97. Even if I got no one. I still give myself grace to have a certain standard and to set boundaries and not to be the foster kid of success so that I can please and appease everybody, you know? So when you give yourself the grace and the gratitude and you just allow yourself to be as amazing as you want to be, then you will become that person. 
Wow, that's powerful. And that is, you know, something that I align with as well is that being compassionate, like, yes, have the gratitude um, for the good and the bad, because we have to have balance. And if everything was perfect, we wouldn't learn and grow. Uh, So when we are stepping out and, and doing different things, holding space, for us to not be perfect, but us to be a work in progress, us to learn. So I think that is very powerful because we can often get down on ourselves and have this all or nothing thinking, like either I strike it big, you know, my first um, launch, or I just go away. Either I get into this perfect uh, relationship or I, you know, ward off all things love related. So I love that. Um, you know, giving yourself grace and holding space for grace. Wow. I guess it's been amazing. Is there anything else you would like to say to someone listening to this episode Mm -hmm. who's currently feeling defeated and hopeless? One of the things I never really thought about this before, but I do want all of our tribe, you know, to appreciate that you, you hold the key, you hold the key to whether or not you are going to be successful. You hold the key to whether or not you're going to allow yourself to stop crying and start cultivating yourself to give yourself grace for the, for the trials and the tribulations. You hold the key Just like I held the key. I could have failed out because that's what I was doing. I was drinking and I was sleeping around and I was acting like, you know, I was so traumatized that I always, you know, I got my second academic letter, you know, and I held the key when I was even at law firms, you know, when it didn't work out and I felt like the the handwriting was on the wall, I had to held the key whether or not I was going to grovel or if I was going to find somewhere for me to fit in. What I want you to do, I guess I'm a business lawyer who to me is like, I don't know, a state plan extraordinaire, but not from the point where you're at, you know, I'm going to pass on a legacy of liability to my children, but you're going to be a financial trailblazer that is going to create generational wealth and you're going to create something amazing especially when you have children, like I was down on myself, but when I had children, I did not want to pass on a story that I was going to give them. They're going to be the beneficiaries of my poverty and my brokenness. When I started having godchildren, I started to think about the world differently because I realized, and hopefully you realize collectively that we are the ones who get a chance to write that story. I tell people all the time, the fairy tale you know, and people don't believe in make believe in fairy tales until they manifest something and you're manifesting one way or the other. So for me, I want you to start creating the fairy tale that lets you live your best life without the rescuer, because you are exactly who you need. You are, you may have been victimized. You may be crying. You may be like, what the hell are they talking about? They don't understand. We do understand and we overstand 
because we've been there. We've been in a situation. We I didn't talk about when I thought I had AIDS around the same time I, one of my girlfriends got AIDS and died in the 90s. You know what I mean? I didn't talk about how I still don't talk to some of my sisters because some of them are just like, I triggered just being me triggers their trauma. But I remove myself from their equation. And you have to get to the point where you got to look at your life. If you're living and you're breathing, then you still can become who you hope to be. As long as you're living and you're breathing, you have that power of becoming. And it's an option. You got to choose you this day. I had to choose. Tony, are you going to be one of those two tears in the bucket chicks? Which I had lived like that for a long time. Am I always going to be on everybody's arm candy? I got to the point. Don't tell anybody, but people would talk about me, about what I did orally more than what I could do mentally. That's not a good feeling. So I had to ask myself, what do I want to be? How do I want to stand up? The same way you're going to have to ask yourself, am I going to stay low? Am I going to allow myself to up level into my fullest potential? It's not the stories that people repeat about you that matters. It's the stories that you write for yourself that's going to become your legacy. So even if you're crying, even if your whole hope is gone, even if you have to start a new love story or you have to start over as a mom, we didn't even talk about how I have one child and I went through the IVF cycle with one egg, but I still did it. And he's 13 years old today. Okay. So yeah, you see my smile. No one really wants to talk about the frown because that's not the legacy I want to leave. Nor do you want your legacy to be down and out. You want to be awesome and amazing. You're a miracle. Miracles, they are tend to be messy, but they're supposed to arise and supposed to shine and they're supposed to manifest something greater here. So if you're going to leave your stamp, you're going to leave your story, make sure it's one that you want to put your signature on. That's what I leave for you today. Well said. I'd like to thank Tony for sharing her story and showing us that it is possible to create the life that you want on your terms, despite the trials and tribulations that you may have endured. Uh, if you want to connect with Tony, her links and resources will be available in the show notes for this episode. I do want to share this quote from Roy T. Bennett before I leave today. Your hardest times often lead to your greatest moments of your life. So keep going. Tough situations will make you stronger. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We are giving away two copies of Tony's latest book, Up Level Your Life. To be entered into this drawing, you will need to leave us a review to this episode and also link up with us by following us on Instagram. Thank you all for tuning in. If you have found this episode helpful, help us grow our audience. By providing us with a five-star review, you help make this podcast visible to others. Help pull others out of a dark space by showing that you care, by sharing this podcast with them. Nothing is better than a friend or loved one who wants you to up-level your life with them. Thanks for tuning in.